Hello, Belinda. Hi, Omar. Before you share what this week's gratitude blooming theme is, we just want to warn folks that there are some sensitive topics that we will discuss in today's podcast. So what is this week's gratitude blooming theme, Belinda? Well, it couldn't be a more fitting theme. It's card number five, the wildflower representing trust. Mm. And the prompt is just so soothing. It's trust that all shall be well. Can you allow space for resolutions to emerge, even in difficult situations? This is a uh, always a powerful topic uh, to dive into uh, with trust. You know, yesterday I was uh, a little too much in my head and feeling sort of some deep uh, discontent. And this sort of image came uh, of a rock hitting bottom. And then I was like, you know, what if it's not a rock hitting bottom, but a rock skipping across water? And then all of a sudden, like my whole sort of energy shifted, right? So instead of this like sinking feeling, it was really this skipping feeling that I started to sort of connect with. And it was just sort of, you know, I think in terms of like trust, it's like sort of like, how do we actually sort of trust that all shall be well? And and that sort of reframing of this sinking feeling to a skipping feeling was like this great sort of reset that trust that all shall be well. And in so many of our episodes so far, there's been this through line of allowing and receiving, and it's much more of um, this kind of softer way to approach uncertainty and, and hard feelings. So I love that you're kind of stepping into that that visual and that sensation of like skipping. It's like there's a lightness there. It's fun. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and that's, you know, this is the sort of balancing act that we're always holding, right? Is that there are challenging moments, you know, and, and today we'll, we'll sort of get into, you know, not just personal challenge, but systemic challenges? And then how does that really affect um, people at an individual level? Um, But before we get into all of that, you know, I'm excited to hear from uh, our artist, uh, Arlene Kim Suda, and the collaboration with Anka and the art. Yeah, and it's a big uh, shift we have. We finished our eight uh, collection with Anka, and the baton has been passed back to Arlene around what are the next eight pieces of digital art going to be an embodiment of these themes? So I'm excited for Arlene to share for the first time this, you know, layer of color and symbolism that you're adding to the, your original uh, line drawings. Hey, Belinda and Omar. So great to be here again. And um I had forgotten about this prompt saying that all should remember <laughs> that all shall be well. And that's such a beautiful way to start uh, the conversation. If, for us with the art, we're switching our, um, our process. And instead of Anka creating art, I will be doing the next eight pieces of art for the next episodes. For our Meta Garden. For the Meta Garden. Yeah. Yes. Nine <laughs> flowers are emerging in this garden now with the trust flower yes, trust, being planted. Yeah, trust is our ninth um, drawing that we've done for this season. And so uh, 
Yeah, and this is the first one that uh, I've I've done. How has it felt for you, Arlene? I know you you have been, you know, in that feeling of just let you know. How do you let the creativity flow through, even with the trepidation of oh my gosh, you know, the next eight weekly deadlines. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm very thankful for that Anka, you know, kind of stepped up and did the first aid. It kind of gave me a little bit of time to process. So it's been uh, nice getting back and um, really to get into really um, what I've been focused on are thinking about the art, um, not just as pencil drawings now, but like with color. And I'm specifically thinking about... Um, like maybe uh, adding some like watercolor effects to some to make them feel like botanical drawings or um, creating like a woodblock effect, which is what happened with uh, art this week. Ooh, new techniques. So tell us about this iteration of the trust flower. Yeah, so I have a story for the new drawing and I'll go ahead and read it to you now. When I thought about the original pencil drawing of this wildflower from the original 100-day project seven years ago, what I remembered most was how the word trust came up when I made the original drawing. I had written the word in the drawing and it didn't look quite right, so I erased it and I rewrote it a second time. But the original word didn't fully erase, so it left a trace behind. And in that experience, I was reminded of how ephemeral trust can be and how we are always having to adapt and change to keep that feeling of trust alive. That ephemeral feeling made me think of this poem by Robert Frost, Nothing Gold Can Stay. Nature's first green is gold her hardest hue to hold, her early leaves a flower, but only so an hour. Then leaf subsides to leaf, so Eden sank to grief. So dawn goes down to day, nothing gold can stay. For this new art, I was thinking about the way we like to think of trust as something steady and precious and as unchanging as gold. But it is really always having to adapt and change because our world and environment and ourselves are always changing. So in the art, I created a gold leaf texture in the background and next to it added elements that for me represent movement, like a shadowy green line of color the wind, for me, represented by a pattern that's meant to capture the feeling of leaves blowing in the wind. And then superimposing the 64 hexagrams from the Yi Ching, also known as the Book of Changes, in the background. So maybe nothing gold can stay, but when we live with awareness that the cycles of nature are also within us and our emotions, Trust feels like something that can be refreshed and renewed alongside the changes we experience in life, like that feeling of the return of nature's first green each spring. Hmm. 
Well, I'm feeling a, a tingling sensation down my back, just uh, looking at the art and feeling the story that is wanting to be expressed around trust. And this reminder that trust is an ongoing process as we dance with the unknown and the, the mystery of life. It's hard. Nature is such a beautiful teacher around how to navigate those cycles. And, and it feels very connected to your culture, Arlene. I feel like we're three uh, Asian-American artists in this podcast. And it's just such a beautiful reflection of our heritage. And I'm, I feel proud in that as well. So I am absolutely buying this NFT <laughs> um, <laughs> let's just get that out of the way. Um, because I am just a huge fan of the I Ching. Um, you know, it just, it was my go-to, um, just resource in 2020 when everything was just being disrupted and it was like how to like recenter. And I just remember, um, like one, this one moment um, where it was just like, I was, I was deep into my Qigong um, daily and it was this reminder and this came out of the I Ching that it became like my rain dance. And what I loved about it, and this is what the I Ching said was that uh, you don't dance for the rain because you expect sort of it to create rain. You do the rain dance so that when it does rain, you're actually ready for it. And, you know, and I think that that's, it's always in the waiting that things are difficult, right? That's where we like mess up oftentimes. Right? Like that's where the patience sort of weakens. That's where sort of, sort of our faith weakens, our hope weakens, um, in the waiting sometimes, or maybe I'll just say I, my faith, my sort of patience. Um, and so I just remembered that this was sort of like, okay, this is how I can sort of sustain my energy and my focus and sort of be present, uh, to not knowing when certain things were going to kind of, uh, flourish again, um, sort of felt like this sort of drought period. And so I just, Ever since then, I, I've become a huge fan of the I Ching. And to now have a gratitude blooming piece of art <laughs> with the I Ching. And I love that you created it with the wildflower, right? Because the wildflower isn't something that we plant, right? Like it, it's not something that we can always intentionally sort of like put in a pot and sort of expect to grow, right? Like wildflowers are sort of in the name, they're wild. And so it, it has that ephemeral feeling to it. And so this, I mean, all your art <laughs> is amazing, Arlene, but <laughs> this one is next level. I love, Omar, that uh, you had found the I Ching, like separate from me. And, um, but it was really like what really drove um, the themes in that you, visual themes that you see in this art is, based on the original drawing. Like, I remember that feeling I had about, wow, trust is ephemeral. It's not something, it's not something like gold that you can hold on to and count on. And, you know, um, so I think there's, there is a lesson that trust comes 
trust is the challenge of trust is really because everything is always changing. And with that feeling of, you know, how do we be patient uh, in life and especially through struggles where we don't know how to get out of because we need to kind of allow for, you know, the the resolution to emerge. Um, I'm excited to share our guests just reflection on this prompt and and with with another poem as well. And before we get into that clip, I'd love for Omar for you to share just uh, our special guest. How did you meet? Uh, you know, what inspired you to bring them onto the podcast? So uh, Mario Jefferson uh, is someone who I've been collaborating with on all of our Web3 uh, NFT crypto, new sort of um, approach to things. He is um, a partner uh, with a dear friend of mine um, who I've known since eighth grade. Um, They have a beautiful uh, young uh, three-year-old daughter. Um, And, you know, it's been, he's been really my guide into really trying to understand. He's been part of uh, Web3 since Occupy, um, and really looking at alternative financial systems to really that are really much more equitable. Um, and and so you know he comes at this from a very principled place. Um, this is not about sort of a get rich quick sort of scheme. This is about like, no, what are the institutions um, that we're putting our trust into? Um, and you know, and I think, what we end up also exploring in this conversation is what happens when those institutions fail us. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, he's pushed my thinking um, and my feeling and like, what does it really mean to collaborate and how do you collaborate with people who are very different from you and who've had very different life circumstances. Um, and so he, you know, it, I have definitely been a fish out of water um, in my collaboration with him. And so it's been, you know, uh, beautiful, challenging and inspiring. So let's hear Mario reflect on this theme of trust. There, there's my favorite poem. Uh, it goes, it's about patience and it's about, it, it goes, uh, do you have the patience to wait? Do you have the patience to remain unmoving uh, while your water clears itself? And I feel like uh, that, that kind of trust in the work is like, the really difficult part because it's like being able just holding still and not doing anything and letting things sort themselves out. <laughs> I don't know if I got that part. Uh, I, I feel like I'm still working on that part, but like, cause at the very least as a Virgo man, I tend to think myself 90 moves into things. Uh, but even that's too much and just remain unmoving and uneager about these things until they resolve themselves. There's that word patience, you know, it's, it feels like, um, for those who you know have heard me say this a million times before, but the root word for impatience is patis, which means to suffer. And that I feel like has been my life's like teacher uh, is how to really not suffer uh, in the waiting. And very much this poem felt so resonant with where we are as a team. You know, we're we're so passionate about gratitude blooming and and the art that's blooming and the nature that is so alive and and it's like how do we keep this going how do we sustain this and 
And uh, I love that the water is coming up. Like, Omar, you brought it up. Mario brought it up in the poem. And literally yesterday, I was like, ah, I'm so like tired of the waiting to see what's going to happen. And I went into the water. So I'm on Big Island, Hawaii right now. And I, I was swimming in this part of the bay that just has so many fish. And I was just watching how they were flowing with the tides. And nobody was responding to the tide. <laughs> like I was looking around. It was like finding Nemo, all these little fish, big fish. And they just were just with whatever the rhythm was. They weren't like thinking about change or like this is going on. They were just being themselves together. And it was so healing for me in that moment because I was like trying to just mimic what they were doing in the water. And it didn't feel like it was waiting anymore. It felt like I'm just being right now. And what can I notice in that place of seeing? Yeah, it's interesting you use that example, Belinda, because my understanding is that in some indigenous cultures, uh, wayfinding, particularly sort of speaking of Hawaiians, uh, when they were in their kayaks or um, they would not actually imagine that they were moving on the water going from point A to point B. What they would do is they would imagine themselves as actually being very still. And it's the world that's moving to them. And so it really changes your energy all of a sudden. So instead of that eagerness of like, oh, I can't wait to get there. It's like, no, I can't wait for there to come here. Mm. And that presence. And so I just, I can see the fish being like, I'm just right here. And everything else is moving around me. And and just that orientation all of a sudden is not about us like trying to get from here to there. It's just like how to actually just be present and know that what is meant to come will come. Wow. Thank you for that. I'm going to remember that every time. I am trying to get to a bee that I don't even know what that is. <laughs> exactly. That's part of the problem, too. <laughs> oh. So I really appreciated this conversation with Mario because, one, I've heard so much about him through you, Omar. I'm like, who is this mystery person that Omar is working with besides me? And um, <laughs> And I just really started to understand how our internal life experiences and struggles really shape what ends up becoming our our purpose. And um and then really to understand that you have to unpack like what 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 was the core wounding or the core struggles that then led to you know a success or an outcome that was you know really like much bigger than the your own self. And so we're going to share a clip of just how his life journey brought him to ask so many, as he puts it, mission critical questions that he didn't have answers for. Full transparency, I went through like the legal system for most of my life, mostly around foster care or, you know, some other thing. And so um, I was actually in a very uh, violent relationship with my uh, stepfather uh, and my mother. And so there was a, uh, right when I was around 17, there was a, a, a altercation with my stepdad and it went absolute south. We always had altercations. My stepdad regularly beat me, punched me, whatever he needed to do. Uh, he told me that if I ever 
uh, tried to stop him from what he was doing. And if I didn't kill him, he'd kill me. So uh, right before I'm trying to go off to the Marines, uh, it actually went down with my, my stepdad and it came to uh, the bitter end. I, I was, uh, I took martial arts. I had a sword. Um, uh, I went to protect my mom from some banging around I heard going on in their room. So uh turns out that it was a nothing burger, but uh going in to protect your mom with the sword will trigger a whole new series of events. And so, oh my gosh, it was, um, that was the last time I saw my stepdad. It was a very rough time. I was in the legal system for uh, about six years, just dealing with, uh, legal issues left and right from, from that whole ordeal. Uh, it, it is as much, you know, I feel like this is where my, my question asking got started because, you know, the, the archetype of the mother is a very powerful one and it, it, it runs very, very deep. And when you have to start asking questions about it, it's not good. <laughs> it's, mm. uh, it's like, you know, uh, you know, being, putting your child in harm's way in such a dangerous environment and, and these types of things. And it's like, yo, just having to, uh, present those types of questions and like with sincere, you know, want for an answer, uh, very tough. And so, uh, I feel like there's a lot uh, coming to this, uh, conclusion where I have to ask these, uh, mission critical questions of all the archetypes is that, you know, the, the, the father archetype, the mother archetype and their value and their relative value and their position in our current system is like just having to, confront those those narratives uh in addition to the church narrative it's like all of those things are like uh they were falling apart long before they started falling apart that was that was part of my whole journey and so uh i I definitely say i didn't choose it it happened to me you know it was we we say sometimes um that we only see the tip of the iceberg of someone and, you know, and it's not until sometimes that we really pause and get to know someone that you then realize, like, what is really happening below the surface. And, you know, I, I've been mentioning um, Father Greg Boyle's book um, uh, a lot recently, and in part because of um, of my collaboration with Mario and you know, I think one of the things that Father Greg Boyle, you know, says is is the illusion of separation. And um, we like to sort of make these distinct categories, and those categories then become uh, archetypes, and those archetypes become institutions. Um, and then we sort of put our trust into those institutions. We put our trust into those archetypes. And, you know, when those then fail very fundamentally, it really is about seeing that there is no separation, right? Like we are part of all of this, this life is happening. And how do we, how do we confront it in a way that it is coming to us and we're not going to it? Yeah. How do you trust when at such a young age, there's so much wounding it's incredible how he survived that and to, to do it at such a young age. It makes me think of also the episode with Aaron, just that critical age of your life when you're just starting to sprout as a person and, and to just have so many 
examples of how life is unfair and to still, and not have the answer and to still keep going. Right. Aaron Marks, uh, the episode around addiction and just getting his wisdom tooth taken and then that being the trigger to get um, addicted on opioids. Um, And so, yeah, I I think this is where I think Mario's journey um, is so powerful because even when these truly circumstances that you never want to imagine happen, what didn't you do? So let's hear more from Mario about what next. How did he create his own narrative in the absence of having real answers to these really hard questions? For me being authentic, I, my, my first goal was to make sure I'm, I know my own story and I know my own narrative. And, you know, for example, uh, my church, I, I, told, I, w- I went to talk to my church about uh, how things happen. And we went to a couple of different churches while this whole thing happened. And from one, one story, you know, from one community, it was a mostly white church. They had a way of looking at it and, you know, go to another church and it's a, uh, from a black angle. And, you know, they have a way of looking at it. And, you know, you go to another community and they have another way of looking at it. And so really narrative is a, a, a superpower in this environment we find ourselves, uh, how we continue, how we pick up the pieces to our life and move on is really on us. And after I finished all my stuff in court and, you know, in and out of that system, uh, leaving uh, Memphis to come to California to do Occupy, I literally got to see how the media builds its narrative how the community receives its narrative and the response to that and seeing it, you know, on the internet in real time, um, you know, in this particular kind of way, uh, that shifted all of my thinking from that moment forward. I'm literally imagining these Russian dolls, right. Or these concentric circles as you go from your personal struggle and then that extending out to all the layers of the system, starting with, your community, and in this case, you know, church, and seeing the responses from other people. How do you stay true to what that narrative is for yourself when there's everyone else saying, well, it's this, it's that, it's the other thing? And this is where, you know, there is so much judgment um, that happens. And, you know, it's so easy to be on the outside uh, pointing fingers at you know, what could have, should have been done. Um, And again, just leaning on Father Greg Boyle, just how do we go from judgment to understanding? You know, how do we go um, from sort of blame to connection? Um, and, and, And this is where it's just not, it's not theory, right? This is real life practice. This is someone's life. Um, and to then all of a sudden, you know, if you're coming from a place of judgment, if you're coming from a place of blame, um, it's it's easy to, you know, to not want to think about how to sort of connect at a human level. It's easy to not want to try to understand and listen and to hear with compassion Um, and, and, but when we do those things, when we have blame and we have judgment, we're building those illusionary walls of separation that somehow, oh, that can never happen or that won't happen to me that somehow I, um, an exception, um, 
And really, as opposed to, no, I am connected and part of all of this. And also the illusion of our within ourselves, because, I mean, I can't imagine how confusing that could be if I were in his shoes, hearing everyone else's projection of who I am, you know, and then then taking it to a whole systems level where he ended up, you know, in at Occupy and watching how the media was reflecting what he was experiencing in real life. And then you have to kind of stay true to, well, what is it that feels true to me? What is my narrative? You have to really have a strong core to be able to stay anchored in that. It's that reminder that the personal is powerful, right? That that each person's story matters. Um, and it's sometimes we sort of lose sight of that because we get into these collective stories and these collective narratives. These become myths and legends. And it's really, you know, really finding our own truth and like that actually becoming the world that we're really trying to weave together. And it feels like his move from the South to California then became this opportunity for a new beginning to take all that pain and that suffering and channel it into his purpose or his passion. And I really loved that crest of the conversation when he was able to share like, well, all of these things that happened to me, like experiencing the harsh reality of these, all these systems, how that then propelled him to look at life in a new way that most people don't have a chance to really explore and then create something out of that. That was so, that was so inspiring to me. Well, and this, you know, I think we don't always dive explicitly into sort of systemic racism and, you know, and and some of these uh, challenges, but I think that part of it is a recognition that privilege is not having to know your privilege. Um, that the myths and legends are real tailwinds to your story. Um, and for those where those tailwinds are actually headwinds, you know, this is really the other side and how to actually be understanding of what uh, these systemic challenges really mean. And I think it deepened my understanding of why these new models are so critical for black and brown people, especially. So let's listen to that part of the story when he uh, gets to California after Occupy, what happens next? Being able to parse and confront these kinds of uh, dying ideas with sincerity gives us like the wisdom to move forward. And so uh, though it was absolutely hellacious uh, growing up the way I did, I don't have any hatred in my heart for my mother. I don't have any hatred for my stepdad, but it's like a we do. I do have to confront the past as it is and make sure my narrative confronts those realities. Even even when systems are failing you, there's still a way that you work them to not get crushed by them. I feel like there's, there's kind of this thing where you have to know just enough of something to not get crushed by these the this endless market of dying things. And so uh, not getting crushed by the prison industrial complex, by the foster industrial complex by the a religious industrial complex or any of these other, you know, systems that we built up for ourselves. I mean, this is what is so powerful about Mario's journey is, uh, you know, he never sort of communicates like that he was a victim, right? You know, he sort of 
uh, is a survivor and not just sort of scratching at it, but really thriving. Um, and so, you know, it's just, you know, it is. And what I really also appreciate is that he's not just trying to do it for himself, right? Like he's doing it for his family as a father. He's doing it in sort of web three and creating new sort of systems that people, you know, can more equitably participate in. Um, you know, and so, you know, it, it's easy to sometimes again, like look at something like web three and be like, ah, oh, you know, it's just these silly NFTs and it's just, um, you know, uh, hype, um, versus no, what are the institutions that we're actually building? What are the systems that we're built, who are we building them for? And, 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 and what is our, everyone, each person of us has a responsibility, uh, to, you know, how we live for generations to come. What is that new narrative that then shapes the reality of our future? So we'll hear how Mario ended up working in web three and, how he it really aspires to change the whole financial system with it. It was so enlightening to hear in his words how that can be done in a big way. The the interesting part that I appreciate about at least in these um, these early stages of these crypto environments is that you know it really forces us to figure out what our whole stack looks like from our belief system, our legal system, our community system, our fiscal system, our personal relationship system, our infrastructure system. So the term we, we use in our business settings is, is that we have to know uh, how things are going all the way upstream and all the way downstream. And so just having this much language, because uh, none of this language was here in the beginning of crypto. None of this language was here when you I really needed it in my own personal life. But to see it now so clearly, it's like, Oh, uh, we probably should be talking about these things just through this lens. And, you know, I'll, I'm going to talk about it through this lens because for me, I see exactly how those are important. Like tokenomic theory is really, really important in a capitalist system just to, you know, uh, 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 refactor the way currency flows. Uh, that might not be crystal clear apparent now, but any of the white papers you might have read, uh, in cryptocurrency in the beginning c- clearly confront those kinds of realities. And so, bringing that kind of conversation to the, the forefront of, of the public is like one of my whole purposes in the space. This environment is just like the environment I was raised in. It's violent. It's not safe. It is not your friend. If you, if you succeed in it, it is not because this environment was friendly to you. So, so to be able to like, you know, accept that this environment is dangerous and still operate in this capacity is like deeply, deeply useful. And so, as a black man in America, knowing that there are a lot of, you know, black men locked up in America, I think there's a massive conversation for unpacking a lot of these these wrongs that are taking place. So in cryptocurrency, you hear people, especially like with Uniswap, saying things like capital efficiency. So the name of the game isn't so much rat race, screw over all these people. It's just like tuning your money to be more accumulative and efficient so that you aren't even playing this game anymore. And then when we're off of that, then we could go help people. Cause if we still have to help people through the lens of, I need to raise money for my next, uh, uh, marketing cycle, you know, that's just, that, that's not helpful. So just, you know, to name it, at least for myself, um, some of this is uncomfortable, right? And I think 
I think it's amazing that on a podcast focused on gratitude blooming, right, where we talk so much about art and nature um, and culture, and we talk about sort of mental health and wellness, um, that we don't forget, like, we don't let that become a bubble, right? That we sort of, we create a bubble of like self-improvement. Um, you know, that is a narrative and it's really, you know, and even Simon Sinek, you know, he, he says this in a, in a slightly different way, which is you go to the bookstore and there's a whole section on self-help and there's no part of the bookstore that says, how do you help others? Um, and so, you know, I think for me, and this is why I think this work is so fundamentally important is like, no, these are the systems and institutions that we are all personally responsible for. Um, and sometimes it's easy to like, say like, life is difficult. I had a bad day. I don't want to actually think about like, you know, governance and capitalism and all these other systemic problems, but then also to sort of realize, well, that's a privilege. Right. And that, and not having to actually think about those things is a privilege. And I felt like, I was like, oh, these, Mario has gone, I've had some challenges in my life. I have not had those challenges. And so I was like, okay, these are, this is, for me, it was like, how do I actually, in this moment, make my heart bigger? How do I actually, in this moment, come from a deeper place of compassion and understanding? Um, and, you know, and I could feel myself seizing up initially. And, and so to like, no, I, this is not the moment uh, to close my heart. This is actually a moment to open it. And, you know, connecting to these themes of hope and trust, it's like every single challenge he had to face within the system, he understood what the defects were. And because he lived them. And then to take that and not be crushed by that. And then to go on and educate himself, reading white papers, engaging with this movement after Occupy, to then say, hey, this is how I want to rebuild the system so more people like me don't end up falling through the cracks. I mean, that, you know, you can't really, what's coming up for me in this moment is you can't really design a new narrative or a new paradigm or a new model if you don't really, like, in your bones understand what the problems are. And how you know, real and they like, are, right? Uh, yeah. And and from that place, then this new life, this new form of life can be born. It reminds me, of, I think it's a um, proverb from uh, Mexico that says, they tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds. And, <laughs> you know, and I think that sort of that realization was that, yeah, you know, maybe not maybe, the system did uh, come crashing down, but he found that seed within himself to really grow. And how powerful and inspirational is that? Yeah, it's incredible. And such a good reminder of how do we allow for the unexpected flowers to bloom in the harshest of climates? It's a wildflower. Yes, exactly. We couldn't have planned this even better. I feel like this emergence thing, Omar and Arlene, it's kind of working for us. <laughs> Just got to let it come to us. That's our problem. We're too busy trying to hustle. By the way, hit like. <laughs> <laughs> so as we wind down the podcast, I'm going to frame the practice 
after we hear Mario's reflection on the conversation of trust. And we're going to do a, a simple practice inspired by this reflection from him. I feel like in hindsight to this call, uh, like my life has been the wild card and I haven't had trust that whole journey. And, you know, for me, they're like un- confronting uncertainty was a really fearful thing for me. And I think that's for most people. But um, living living this life with where uh, of the wild card in this way to establish trust, you know, I feel like in hindsight for me, trusting the process is really worthwhile, uh, even though even though those things aren't clear. So for this practice inspired by Mario, I invite you to find a place in nature, maybe a place where there are some wildflowers nearby, or if you can't access that for any reason, just even closing your eyes and visualizing a field, a green, fertile field of colorful wildflowers blooming and just sitting there just watching nature coming to you just observing what does life look like from the place of a wildflower and just embracing the beauty of the wild unknown in in this moment Letting things come to us versus having to go to strive to find the answer. And just notice how that feels for you and your body as you sit and visualize that or be with that in, in the wild nature. For me, just closing my eyes in this moment with my feet on the ground I feel a sense of freedom and inner peace just imagining that state of presence with the unknown and the uncertainty so I was inspired to do a quick I Ching reading I felt like this was like an appropriate uh, exercise (laughs) and I went to my favorite sort of online one, uh, though I like using my book the best. And it goes from hexagram 34, great vigor, uh, to hexagram number 25, without entanglement. And uh, the image for great vigor is thunder dwells above heaven, great vigor. A noble one treads no path that is without ritual. and the oracle on it is great vigor, constancy bears fruit. And so it's about standing upright um, and having that full resilient energy, um, that ability to uh, adapt to change. And then without entanglement, it's about creating success from the source. Constancy bears fruit. And one who is not upright commits blunders and it is fruitless to have a direction to go. And so I just, you know, how do we stand upright? What does that really look like for us? How do we practice compassion? How do we practice connection? How do we practice trust with great vigor? And steadiness. 
Thank you, Belinda. Thank you, Arlene. Thank you, Mario. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, our listeners who are here with us. This journey is real. We appreciate you. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.